This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. You have your Bibles with you. Uh, Our reading this morning comes from Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13, and we're going to read all the way through uh, chapter 53. Beginning in Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation... Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and to praise your name. We thank you for this this Advent season where we're reminded of this great display of love that you made in sending your son to earth to take on flesh the eternal Son of God, almighty, all-powerful, all-worthy of all praise and honor, humbled himself to enter our mess 
because of your great love for us. God, and that is such a humbling thing, such an awesome thing, that we can't even fully wrap our minds around it. But Lord, help us this morning to be moved by your great love for us. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's not, absolutely not because we deserve it, because we know that we don't. We know that we are unlovely. We know that we are sinful. But God, when you take us and you show us that love, you make us yours, you perfect us, you sanctify us. And God, we thank you so much for that. Lord, that is abundant reason for us to rejoice and be filled with hope and love simply because of who you are and who you have made us to be. God, we thank you that you care for us in every single situation of life. When times are good and it's easy to rejoice, when times are difficult and it's hard. Lord, we thank you that you care. We pray for all of those who are hurting this morning because we know that there are many. Pray that you would comfort, that you would give peace, that you would wrap your arms around those who are struggling. We pray specifically for, uh, for the Rishaw family and the loss of Mary. We pray that you, would, uh, that you would comfort them, that you would give them peace, even in this difficult time, uh, that in their mourning, in their grief, that they would be reminded of your great love. God, we pray for Paula as she's in the hospital and, and dealing with her own illness. We pray that you would help her to recover quickly and that you would encourage her, Lord, it's a a double difficult situation and one that needs so much of your grace and comfort, and we know that you are faithful to provide that. So we ask this knowing that you uh, will, will answer our prayers. God, again, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity, the privilege that it is to be able to gather as your people, to sit under the the preaching of your word. Lord, we know that you've promised to use these times together to shape us and to mold us and to make us the people that you've called us to be. So we pray that you would do that. I pray that you would speak through Pastor Aaron as he preaches the word. I pray that his words would be clear. They would be those that you have uh, ordained for him to, to say. And Holy Spirit, would you apply your word to our hearts? Would you shape us? Lord, don't let us remain the same as we were when we came into this place today, but let us be moved by the awesome love of God for your people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, First Prez. If you do have your copy of God's Word, I'd ask that you'd have it open there to Isaiah 52, the end of Isaiah 52, and we'll be moving on to verse 53. Truth is, too often we misunderstand love. We think love is simply a feeling or solely in the terms of self-serving or self-gratifying. Now that's why we can make statements like, I love pineapple on pizza. Can anybody really love that? But we make these statements. We, we, we talk about things that we love that really are just things, feelings, because they self-gratify, because they self-serve. And we, we think of the idea of, of love as simply being a feeling and really missing the fact that love is an action, it's a choice. See, the biblical definition of love is this, it is an action. It is self 
self-denial. It is self-sacrifice. Listen to 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which means atoning sacrifice for our sin. Or how about 1 John 3.16? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. See, the truth of the matter is, and most of you are the same way as me, we really don't begin to understand love until we think about it in the relationship of a family. We think about the idea that when we first began to date our spouse, it was because they, in a sense, gratified us, the way they looked, the way they act, the way they made us feel. But as we got deeper into that relationship and and got married, we realized that it was going to require a lot of us. Sacrifice, denial, action. Or how about when we had children? And the first time that we were there and we see their birth, we think of all the wonderful things that they're going to do and they're going to achieve. And and we're excited about that until they continue to cry through the wee hours of the morning. The many diaper changes and the spills and all the things in your house that become broken as they become a toddler and a teenager. Sacrifice. Self-denial action. That's what love is. And that is exactly what is pictured in the gospel of Isaiah. Yes, I said that right. The gospel of Isaiah. Isaiah shares the good news and the hope of love. But he does it as he talks about the promised Messiah. See, here's the point. God's love is seen in the Messiah's coming to suffer. God's love is seen in the Messiah's coming to suffer. See, the Messiah would stand in our place. The Messiah would die for his people. See, the background to Isaiah is this. The prophecy is filled with God's discipline over his people because they were wandering from the truth. They were choosing to worship the things of this world rather than the true and living God. And so God warned them again and again, and through the prophet warns them of a time of discipline and chastisement that's coming because they're his children. And because of their sin, he was going to eventually send them into exile. That's what Isaiah's message is about. But rooted in the message of exile is the promise of hope because of God's great love that a Messiah would come who would suffer in their place, who would take on the cost of their freedom. Ironically, Isaiah begins to talk about it in the person of a man by the name of Cyrus, who's a foreign king. And we see this fulfilled as Cyrus ultimately begins to to give possessions so that the people of Israel can leave Persia and go back to their homes. He allows them great pieces of lumber. He allows them resources of food. He allows them all the things they need to go back and rebuild their temple to worship their God. What a great sacrifice for Cyrus. So people assumed it was fulfilled, it was completed. But yet Jesus would make it clear, Cyrus just foreshadowed him. 
that Jesus was ultimately the one who was coming and who would pay the true cost that no one else could pay for your sin. Jesus would be the suffering servant. Jesus would be our Savior. Let's look at this definition that Isaiah gives of the suffering servant. He first talks about the suffering servant's identity. And the truth of the matter is, we must deal with a misunderstanding of the identity of the Messiah. This is important. Because all too often, people have a tendency to only choose to be informed by their bias. The people of Israel were no different. They were just like us. They chose to just take the portion of the news that they liked. Isn't that the problem with today? We only listen to the things that we like. Timothy was told that by Paul, that the day was coming when the people would want their ears tickled. They would want to be entertained. They would want to be pleased. It's like Paul knew that eventually man would be consumed by his own appetite. The truth is, the reason Paul was so sure of that is not only because he was given a prophecy from the Lord, but also because he had seen it throughout the history of mankind. We're consumed by our appetites. We're consumed by our biases, and therefore we're only informed by the things that please us. Why do I bring this up? Because it ties directly into the way the Jews saw and understood the Messiah. See, the Jews only liked certain passages of Scripture specifically related to the Messiah. Like all of us, they didn't like the negative stuff. They just liked the good stuff. They just liked the happy stuff. And so what the Jews began to do was when they would focus on a Messiah who was coming, they loved to hear about the Son of Man of Daniel. They loved to hear about the one who would crush their enemies. They loved to hear the passages of one who would come and be victor and bring freedom. But they ignored other important passages that talked about the cost of their freedom. They ignored passages about the suffering of their deliverer. How often we do the same when we choose the passages of Scripture that we will use for a bias of our information. But friends, the Messiah was in fact to be a suffering servant. In Isaiah 52 verse 14, listen to what it says. He would be marred beyond human semblance. He would be marred behind human semblance. That the story of Christ in the Gospels, there receiving the blows by the soldiers, the way in which he was mistreated, whipped, and scourged for our deliverance, he would be marred beyond human semblance. In fact, in chapter 53, verse 2, it goes on to say he, he would have no form or majesty that we should look at him. See, when Jesus came, he came in the form of a babe born to a poor family. Who wants a Messiah like that? They expected a king. They expected one who would rule with palaces and money and authority and power. They ignored these passages of Isaiah. The talk of the suffering servant, marred beyond human semblance, no form or majesty that we should look upon him. See, here's the point. 
we must be careful to use the whole of Scripture and not just those biases, those passages that we prefer. Here's why. Our biases lead to bad interpretation. And therefore, they can lead us to misunderstanding. And misunderstanding can lead us to grave implications such as rejecting the Messiah who came to suffer. How true this was in Jesus' day. And friends, how true it is today. When people said, well, I can't believe in a God like that. My God would never do those things. How often have we heard those lines from friends and neighbors and even family who say, that's not the God I understand or God I choose to believe in. They chose their biases over Scripture. Friends, let's not pick on those outside before we first do business inside. How often the truth is that that is us. How often we will push portions of scripture and doctrine aside because we're not comfortable with it. We're not comfortable with the idea of God truly being sovereign. We're not comfortable with the idea that God became man. We're not comfortable with the fact that Jesus raised from the dead. Over time, we've seen the church run from those things. We call it the liberal church. We call it the non-believing people. The truth is, it's found in the pews of America all over. Where no longer do people believe in the incarnation. Then why celebrate Christmas? They no longer believe in a blood atonement for the forgiveness of sins. Then why celebrate Good Friday? They no longer believe in the resurrection from the dead. Then why celebrate Easter? Friends, I bring these to your point and your attention because this is the state of our world. Bias-led interpretation leads to horrible misunderstanding and ultimately to a rejection of the Messiah who came to save the world. See, Jesus gave self-revelation. Jesus declared as he came into the world why he was here. Jesus made it abundantly clear that he was in fact the son of God and he came to die. Even when the disciples tried to say, oh no, no, not you, Jesus. Jesus' famous words to Peter were, get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew his mission. Jesus made it abundantly clear why he had come. He came to die. All through the Gospels, Jesus made it abundantly clear that he, in fact, was and is the Son of God who came to die for sinners. We have a famous passage in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. It's a passage where Jesus enters the synagogue, which was typically his pattern. Upon entering a city, he would enter the place where they would gather for worship. And Jesus entered this particular synagogue. And as he entered that synagogue, he was handed a scroll. Now, what's interesting is we don't know if when handing the scroll to Jesus, did Jesus pick out the particular passage or was he told to read from the particular passage? Either way, 
he makes an amazing statement. As he reads this passage in Isaiah 61 verse 1, he describes all the mission of the Messiah, that he had come to to heal the blind and heal the lame, that he came to bring perfect justice and peace to the world. But Jesus was making it abundantly clear that he was the promised one of Isaiah when he says these words, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is leaving no room for guesswork. I am the Messiah that Isaiah talked about in his fullness. Not just the conqueror, but also the sufferer. See, Jesus made it abundantly clear that he would accomplish all that the Messiah was to accomplish. Jesus made it abundantly clear that he would suffer all the suffering servant was to suffer. And yet, by the time we get to the end of the Gospels, we see those who are caught up in a frenzy to celebrate Jesus' arrival, now rejecting him and abandoning him. Why? Because he was arrested and they preferred not to believe in a Messiah who would suffer. Friends, I ask you this morning, how does your bias get in the way of you seeing the gospel correctly? We all have biases. Biases are the way in which we're raised. Biases affect the way we see and read and interpret everything. Richer, poorer. Brought up in the church, not brought up in the church. Knowing your father, not knowing your father. All of these aspects of your life begin to form a bias in the way you read and interpret everything. The first thing for us to do is to admit we have a bias. The second thing is to begin to understand what that bias is so that we ultimately can begin to rein it in as we wrestle with the truth of Scripture because the importance of the gospel is that important. The importance of Scripture is that important. That we would wrestle in our own biases and hear the word of God one of the most simple things you can do before you ever read or even attend church is to pray. God, give me ears to hear. God, give me hearts to receive. God, give me eyes to see. That simple prayer that even a child can make is one that God is so gracious to answer. You have not because you ask not. May we recognize our deep need of a right understanding of Scripture. Friends, not only do we misunderstand the true servant's identity, just like those back in Isaiah's day and forward, but we misunderstand the servant's mission. So we need to understand that the suffering servant was sent here on mission. Jesus came to suffer in our place. Listen to just some of the verses as they are pulled out from chapter 
53 of Isaiah. In verse 3, it says he was despised and rejected. In verse 4, he bore our grief and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquity. Verse 6, the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted like a lamb led to the slaughter. Verse 8, he was cut off. And out of the land of the living, verse 9, his grave was made with the wicked. Verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why do I read those? Because scriptures wants us to understand why Jesus came. Jesus came on mission. Jesus came on a mission to die for sinners. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to suffer for us. He came to suffer in our place. He came to take the punishment we deserve. And he did all of that out of love. Friends, understand that the suffering servant shows us love. It was already heard today, but John 15 verse 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this. And someone laid down his life for his friends. Friends, understand that Jesus defines true love. And he came to die for sinners. Church, understand this. True love is an action. And true love is self-sacrificing for others. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. And Jesus came on mission to fulfill it through it act of love do we ever just dwell in the reality of the love of God not our understanding of the feelings of God's love of all the things we think that means but do we ever just dwell in the reality of God's love as described in scripture his suffering for us He's standing in our place of the accused on a cross he did not deserve. Do we ever just bask in the understanding of what Jesus did for me? That's the gospel. What absolutely should astound us the most as we reflect on Jesus' mission is that Jesus' act of love were for friends, yes. But at first, they were enemies. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 7 through 8. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It actually means there in the Greek, while we were in the very act of sinning, Imagine that. The very act of your, of your neighbor throwing a punch at your face. In the very act of one who's lying and gossiping about you. In the very moment in which one is taking advantage of you. The response is love. While we were in the act of sinning, Christ died for us. Friends, this is love. Friends, this is important to understand that this is what Jesus calls us to. 
In John 15, 12, it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, it goes on to say that we're to love our enemies just as Jesus did. We're constantly told what this definition of love looks like. It means self-sacrifice. It means action. It means self-denial. For who? Just the people you like? No. Even the people in the very act of sinning against you. This is why 1 John 4.8 was written. Why John wants to make it abundantly clear and remind us what Jesus did for us. He says, anyone therefore who does not love does not know God. For God is love. We can't go around saying we're Christians if we don't have love. And we can't go around saying we're Christians and we follow Christ if we're not loving our neighbor. We can't go around and say we belong as the children of God if we don't love our enemies. The call to be a child and a disciple of Christ is one that costs. But get this, Jesus never calls us to anything he himself was not willing to fulfill. That was Jesus' mission. So I ask you, what does Jesus' mission teach you about how deeply you're loved and how deeply you're to love others? Let me ask that again. How does Jesus' mission teach you about how you are to love and how well and deep you're to love others? Friends, as I pray that as we sit here and we bask in the goodness of God's love for us, that we would also, in the moment of feeling gratitude, also feel conviction to act. Let's be honest, Christmas is a time that many families dread because of the conflict and the wars that underneath the surface exist. But what an opportunity for the people of God to love well. What an opportunity for us to show how we understand we ourselves to have been redeemed. Not simply because we're good enough or nice enough or pretty enough, but even in our ugliness, Jesus died for us. Friends, that is love. And as we ponder this mission of Jesus, how often we misunderstand the benefits of the suffering servant. He didn't just come to quickly take us to heaven so we can play with a harp and have some wings and fly around. Jesus actually came so that we would experience the fullness of God. He came so that we would be in right standing. It's described in verse 11 of chapter 53. It tells us we were accounted with the righteous. We are, we're accounted with, with being righteous. Look at verse 11. It says this. He made many to be accounted righteous. 
Do you know what the idea of accounting is? Is that our debt has been paid, that, that we're fully in right standing, that we have no blemishes on our credit score, meaning spiritually speaking, we're having a perfect day. And the reason this is possible is because of Jesus. The benefit of being in Christ, the benefit of him bearing our iniquity, the benefit of him paying our debts in full. But friends, it continues. It's not just simply that our debt has been paid and we're free to go. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, it says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Friends, he shares his inheritance with us. He shares what is his rightfully purchased with us. He's the victor, but he gives us access to the spoil. What a beautiful thing in the picture of the inheritance we have in Jesus. And if that weren't enough, at the very end of verse 12, he goes on to say this. And he poured out his soul in death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many. And get it, and he makes intercession for the transgressor. Notice the makes, the present tense, the ongoing action that there he is in heaven. And every time Aaron sins, he says, I paid for it. I got it. And he pleads the blood of Jesus for me and for you. Friends, that's good news. Because the truth is, if we look in the mirror, in all of Scripture, in all the things we want to ignore, we realize how horrible and sinful we really are. But we don't. Because it's uncomfortable. Because it's ugly. Because it makes Christianity so dark. Friends, we're robbing ourselves of a true understanding of the gospel when we don't come to the law and see it in its fullness and see ourselves in our ugliness and understand what Jesus has done in his great act of love for his people. Church, understand that all these blessings are blessings we have been talking about through this series on Isaiah as we've studied the various passages of the Messiah and all that he brings, we have been understanding all the fullness of what it means to be a child of God. But these fullness, these blessings, these benefits are ours because of Christ. What are they? Well, back in 9.2, we learned that we who walked in darkness are able to see a great light. That's a privilege. That's an honor. That's a gift to see the truth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't assume you're smarter or better than anyone else because Scripture says we like all sheep have gone astray. There is none righteous, no, not one. The very fact that any of us would see any light is a gift from God. He goes on in chapter 9 to say, We have increased joy for the yoke of burden and the rod of the oppressor has been removed. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer driven by the course of this world. We've been set free. And free indeed, Paul says. Free indeed. 
Or how about as we wrestle through chapter 42, verse 7, where it makes it abundantly clear that we as prisoners have been set free. We're no longer held captive in the cells of darkness and abuse. Or how about in verse 6 of chapter 42, where it says, now we get to be the light to the nations. We've been turned from being part of the darkness and the problem of this world to now being one who bears light in the darkness. All because of Jesus. All because of the change that occurs in our hearts. All because of what he's done in washing us clean and changing our desires. So now that rather than point to the things of the world, we point to Jesus. That's the benefit of being saved in Christ. If that weren't enough, last week we looked in chapter 35 and we discovered that the blind eyes have been made whole. The deaf ears have been unstopped. We now have the freedom to grow and to see and to understand. And the most beautiful picture is found in verse 8 where it says, we can now walk in the highway of holiness. Friends, do you know what that means? That you're allowed in the presence of God. Do you understand that one of the most beautiful gifts the church has been given is prayer? Do you understand that when we call out, we're assured, we're heard, we're told as the church, the people of God, to come with boldness to the throne of grace. We're to break open the doors of heaven and to assume our our position, to assume our heritage, to assume who we are in Christ and that we will be heard. But yet how often we neglect these benefits. Prayer, understanding of scripture, being light in the dark world, out of fear or love for things in the world more than love for Christ. How can that be? How can we love anything more than one who would love us like this? This is one of those sermons that causes all of us to check our hearts. What am I allowing to love more than Christ? Nothing! We should allow nothing to hold us bondage. We should allow nothing to grab our, our, our love and, and emotions and, and care more than Christ. Because Christ has come. And because Christ has come, we now know real peace, real hope, real joy, and real love. Because of Christ. How can we not love him as he's loved us? In 1 John, John writes these words. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. He ends with this, and so we are. I love that. So we are. You know why I think John wrote that? Because he knows the devil whispers in our ears, no, you're not. 
No, you're not. The struggle is real in this world, isn't it? Amen? The struggle is real. Sin seems like it's always crouching around the door, but how often we forget that our sin has already been paid for. We have been given the blessings and the goodness of Christ in fullness. And we would see it if we would read Scripture as we wrestle against our bias. Because we truly can't understand the love and the forgiveness of Christ until we understand the depth and the ugliness of our own sin. So friends, I ask you, do you enjoy the benefits of the suffering servant's love for you? If not, you need to begin today. You need to begin to enjoy the benefits of the suffering servant's love for you. Draw, who doesn't want to be loved? Who doesn't want to know the raging love of Christ that heaven couldn't keep him hostage? He came here on mission to die for sinners. Praise God for the love like that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I've heard it said that Jesus drank the cup of wrath without mercy so that we may drink the cup of mercy without wrath. God, how beautiful that language is, is that Jesus drank the cup of wrath without mercy so that we could drink the cup of mercy without wrath. God, help us to understand what the fullness of the blood atonement of Jesus means. Understanding that in your great love that you would send your own son here in this broken, fallen, sin-filled world that would sin against him, that would abuse him, that would reject him, that would abandon him. You sent him to us so that he could live a sinless life and die a sinner's death. You poured out all of your wrath and judgment upon him, showing no mercy so that we could drink up the mercy and experience no wrath. God, may we truly focus on the beauty of your love. May we be so moved with new hearts and new minds and new desires that we begin to love you as you're worthy of. And may we love even our enemies as you have loved us. God, may this Christmas take on a fuller meaning for each and every one of us as we recognize the gift of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.